America. Hi, this is Mandy Thomas. And I'm Kagan Moore, and this is The Fourth Degree. A podcast from WWL-TV in New Orleans, where we talk to people in the news about the news. I'm Mandy. I'm the social media editor here at WWL-TV. I'm Kagan. I produce a local lifestyle entertainment talk show called The 504. And this podcast kind of came about because we wanted to talk to people in the business behind the scenes and in front of the camera about what it's like to bring these stories to our community here in New Orleans and the greater New Orleans area. Yeah, we just felt like these reporters had so much more than just a minute and 30 package that they wanted to share on air, but there's stories behind the stories, so to speak. Yeah. So in this particular series of stories, we're going to be taking a look back at some of the biggest stories covered by WWL-TV in 2016. Paulson is an anchor of WWL-TV's Eyewitness Morning News with more than 35 years of journalism under his belt. Uh, back in April, Eric went out into the streets of New Orleans to ask why so many people carry guns. And while on the story, he and his photographer Tom Moore witnessed an all-too-close encounter. It was quite frightening. The story we were doing was about violence. A friend of mine named Kwame Gates, who is a rapper who goes by K. Gates in town, Uh, He may have changed his name by now, but he was K-Gates at the time. He had done a documentary called Murder Capital about violence in New Orleans. And it was a very gritty, very graphic uh, documentary that I I had wanted to do something on, but it was so graphic. And, I mean, he he takes you into the streets to see the good, the bad, and the ugly about New Orleans, uh, that it was hard to find a way to put that on broadcast television to where uh, we could get away with it. Uh, so it, 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 he, had, he had had it out for some time, and I had approached management a long time ago and said that I wanted to do a documentary using his documentary. We never got around to that, but then when we started doing the Taking, Taking a Stand series, I thought this would be the perfect venue, the perfect uh, way to show people about what's going on in New Orleans, because there's, and I said this in, in, the, in the first piece, I said, there is a side of New Orleans that a lot of people do not see. Um, you know, for most tourists and, and people who live maybe in the suburbs and stuff, you know, they see the French Quarter and, and uh, you know, they hear stories about Treme and, and uh, um, they go into Uptown and uh, the CBD, but, but they don't see some of the stuff that happens in the streets of New Orleans off the beaten path. And it, it's a whole different world. And Kwame, in his documentary, was showing that. He was showing drug deals going down, um, people who, who he talked to who, who had no uh, problem with, with, you know, taking a gun, shooting somebody to get what they want. And a lot of the people he talked to were young people who said that, you know, what do I care? I'm, I'm going to die before I'm 25 anyway, so I'm going to get what I can. And it was all about, you know, showing out how much, how much bling you got, how much money you have, uh, the kind of guns you have, and just that, that kind of pent-up anger. So that being the inspiration for what kind of later came with the Taking the Stand uh, campaign, which we should tell people that um, the purpose of the campaign was to kind of spotlight 
um, some of the issues with gun violence and violence in New Orleans to talk to people who were trying to find solutions and to uh, come together just, I guess, as a community, I guess, to kind of say that enough is enough. And that was something that was spearheaded by WWL-TV. Yes. And so, so uh, um, uh, I, I met Kwame and we we're talking about his documentary. And he said that he wanted me to meet a woman who had been in this documentary. Her name is Althea. She had lost four sons to gun violence, which is unfathomable. Um, this is a, a wonderful woman, very nice. She's done all she can uh, to, to raise her kids. And to lose four sons to gun violence said a lot to me. So we go to her house, and, and I'm interviewing her and her daughter, Erica, who has since written a book about the loss of her four brothers. And we started going over some of the circumstances surrounding what had happened and in her neighborhood. In fact, one of her sons was killed not a block or two from, from the house. The others were killed in different circumstances. Um, and so then and on, on the way out, there was a couple of rappers that came by, a group called the 8-9 Boys. Kwame said, you know, you ought to talk to these guys because they're in the streets, they're in the hood, they, they know what's going on. And I said, well, that'd be great. So we sat them down on a stoop um, across a, a, a vacant lot from Althea's house. And as we were talking to two of the guys who were in the rap group, uh, a guy who used to be in the rap group started yelling all kinds of obscenities at us and uh, uh, some racial slurs and talking about how you know, the white man shouldn't be here and, and even telling Kwame, you shouldn't be in my neighborhood. Um, and I finally asked the guy, I said, well, is this your property? And he said, I don't got to answer your blankety blank, blankety blank questions. And then uh, it, it started escalating where he was really yelling obscenities at us. And I thought, well, this is not going to be good. So I said, let's end the interview. So we ended the interview. And one of the guys who goes by uh, the rap name Easy Money had his three-year-old boy with him and another uh, uh, gentleman with him. Well, they confronted the guy who was yelling at us, a guy named Joseph. And all of a sudden, it just, and the camera was still rolling, and it broke out into a fight. And I thought, oh, oh my God. And, and, and then it, 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 they, they kept on fighting and moved over to... Uh, an area by the street and all of a sudden uh, Joseph's on the ground and this other guy is, is I mean I mean, beating the hell out of him and, and you could hear all of it and it was just so graphic and then all of a sudden somebody spotted a gun um, both of them went for the gun and uh, fortunately the guy who, who uh, was throwing the punches got the gun and apparently was trying to defuse it we're not sure what but uh, um, backed off. And, and then it was the most surreal thing I think I've, I've ever been through because the first thing that went through my mind is, oh my God, shots could have been fired. That little three-year-old boy could have been hit. We could have been hit. I don't want to die over a story. But what it did show is how fast uh, an argument can turn into a violent confrontation that can escalate into gunfire. And this came right on the heels of the Will Smith road rage killing. And it, it just kind of brought to light just how fast, instead of using words to solve a problem, people go for a fight and guns. 
and and that I think was so important about this story, so much so that the next day after the story ran, the mayor called me, and he said, you know, I've been I've been trying to get people to look at this systemic violence for years. And he said, I, I, I'm getting very little response. He said, but you put this story on and all of a sudden everybody is talking about this. And what it shows is what we could never show before is how something like this escalates, how it begins, how it escalates. And fortunately it didn't end in gunfire. Now the mayor believed that had our cameras not been there, there might've been gunfire. We don't know that, that to be the case. And I said, when the story finally ran at the end of the 10 o'clock news, or the end of the segment on the 10 o'clock news. I said our goal was to go ahead and, and see if we can get these two sides together so this does not turn out to be a revenge shooting. Um, you know, because we really, we really, and Kwame and I were both in, in fear of that because here we're putting this, this guy on television uh, getting, getting beaten like that. And, you know, he, he might be mad that, that um, you know, he's been shown in such a light uh, that he might come after us. Well, they never did. We got a hold of him. Um, and to his credit, he apologized. And he did that in the mayor's office. And then outside the mayor's office, we, we, we set up an, a meeting with the mayor where, where this man, Joseph, and all the other people involved in it could vent their frustration with what's going on in the city of New Orleans. And the mayor was very open to it. At one point, he kind of cut off Joseph about what he was saying. And Joseph um, castigated him and said, you need to listen to me. And to the mayor's credit, the mayor did. And when we got outside, um, he said, first of all, I want to apologize to my mom and my dad. And I, I just, I don't think there could have been a better ending to that story. And if it, if, if this is a, the hand of God or whatever, a minister happened to be walking up into City Hall to do some business, and he recognized us from the story. And he came over and he said, I'm so impressed with you guys. Will you come and speak at my church? Well, Joseph, the guy who did the apologizing and, and really started the whole thing, came to the church and spoke. And it was just, it was wonderful. So, I mean, it, it just restores your faith in, in humankind. And it, it was a good example of how if you're, if you're smart and use words to solve things, nobody gets killed. We start slowing down the systemic violence in town. And, and I told Joseph this. I said, it takes a bigger man to do what you do, to do what you did, than to pull out a gun and shoot somebody. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned the positive responses to this story. On social media, there was a lot of reaction surrounding yes. this. I mean, this you went viral, Eric, in 2016. Yeah. This, yeah, this got picked up by Adweek. Uh, the Root. Um, it it was also, it was also uh, um, I saw it in, in the London Daily Mirror. Yes. <laughs> the Sun. Papers all over the country had picked up the story. And uh, uh, TV stations had picked it up all over the, over the country. And even so much that our news director had to issue a letter sort of saying, okay, this is why we aired this piece. Yeah, because people were wondering, and, and, and we wrestled with that, and, and I thought, you know, should we show this kind of violence? And after thinking about it, I said yes, because this is the kind of thing, like I said in, in Kwame's documentary, that people need to see. They need to see how this happens, how this escalates so fast, and... 
and how, uh, you know, an argument, uh, uh, an argument over territory can turn into something to where somebody might get killed. And were you concerned about that for the subjects in the in your piece? Were you concerned that once that fight kind of broke up and you guys left, that one of those individuals could have ended up dead? Oh, yeah. Because of, you know, the broadcast and because faces weren't blurred. You guys still no. used first names. Right. And and, and I, I was worried about that. As I said, I was worried about the, the, the child at the time. But for the revenge aspect, I mean, Kwame was worried. I was worried. Um, and, uh, you, you know, we just didn't know what would happen. And one of the most poignant things is Althea, who lives uh, um, almost next door, came out at the end of the fight, and she goes, she goes, stop the killing, stop the killing. And um, I think maybe that, that helped diffuse it as well. Eric, have you ever been scared on a story before? Um, I'm sure I have. Um, I, I've covered a lot of stories, I, but it's a different kind of scared. I, I, um, when I did a show called PM Magazine, they were building the second bridge across the, uh, the Mississippi River. And I did a story to where I did a stand-up on the very top crest of the bridge. Now, this apparently was, was before a time when they had real stiff OSHA requirements because... I had a hard hat, and that was it. I had no safety belt on, um, and, and, and I'm afraid of heights. But we climbed just to, my, my cameraman and I climbed up a rickety ladder to get to the top. I mean, the very top of the of the Crest City Connection Bridge, and we're doing a stand-up up there. And I mean, my legs shook for three days afterwards. Oh my god! But that was a totally different kind of being scared. <laughs> right? Not not scared for your life, or scared for. Oh, well, I was scared for my life because I could have fallen. <laughs> Well, sure. Not scared of violence or but no, yeah, not violence, not violence, not violence. But that long fall would have been pretty bad. Oh yeah, it would have been pretty bad. What do you say to and just kind of going back to um, some of the reaction and reception? What did you think of uh, kind of how the piece was received? Um, I thought it was received very well, and and I was surprised. And Mandy was talking about this about some of the social media reaction because a lot of times. You get a lot of people on social media who just spout off anything. Um, but a lot of these people were thoughtful, and they backed our decision to air the story. Of course, some you know you can't get people to agree on anything. But a lot, I'd say the vast majority, the vast majority, on uh, at least on my Facebook page, I know on the station's Facebook page, and other social media, were 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 glad we showed that. Because uh, I think they realize if we're going to cure this kind of violence, you need to see it happen. And that's one of the things that I liked about Kiwami's documentary is that it showed some of the things that, that people like us never see. So what do you say to some people who might, because we've had conversations, right, about the piece before. Oh, and, sure. and you showed it to me before it aired. And, and you had questions about I it. I did have questions, and some of them 
were based on it maybe being something that's maybe a little exploitative or even reinforcing stereotypes about a group of people that may not be reflective of a larger group, right? So a lot of times um, we take maybe the negative of a particular group and then apply it to kind of everyone. And we know that there are systemic issues in New Orleans and places across the world. So kind of what does that do to kind of refuel and reinforce these ideas of maybe a class of people and a race of people um, who, who I guess are just kind of maybe doing what they think they need to do in order to survive? Yeah. So the idea of, uh, um, of this being something that is not normal maybe doesn't even register. Well, if if the story had not turned out like it did where Joseph apologized, I think Joseph is a shining example and uh, a model for what other people can do who get involved in violence. And the fact is, this stuff does happen. Um, We can't hide our heads in the sand. And that's one of the reasons that Kwame made the documentary. Kwame is an an African-American man. He wanted to show um, um, things that are happening within the African-American community. Not the entire community, but a segment of the community. There are, there are places in New Orleans where most people who are not in that neighborhood probably shouldn't go. And that's a sad, that's a sad commentary on how we are today. And I think that's what he wanted to show about, about his indignation about us becoming the murder capital. One of the problems we have in this city, per capita, we have such a high murder rate. You look at cities, big cities, like New York or Chicago. Um, you know, in, 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 in back in the 90s, when uh, uh, Mayor Mark Morial was fighting such a, a horrific pro- a crime problem, there were 494 murders in one year in a city the size of New Orleans. Now, a city the size of Chicago with three million people, or New York with eight million people, they may have 700 or 500 in, in New York. You know, and, and we're almost there, and we are a, a minuscule city compared to those two cities. And so that's when you realize, <laughs> when you look at, 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 at the per capita, you see how bad it is. Because something that I'm also hearing kind of when we're right now, when we're going back and forth and even kind of going back through, because me and Mandy went back through some of the comments from back in May uh, that some people made on uh, Facebook and different other social media platforms. And it feels very um, at arm's length. It's like, okay, so we know that this has been happening forever. You, you got a lot of those comments, but it's almost like it's something that happens over there, right? So then the solution is, oh, there should be martial law, or there should be people that should be rounded up at like 2 a.m., uh, or there should be like a curfew, or, you know, you got to get rid of the welfare culture, culture. It's like, in the same breath that people are saying, this is our city and we need to save it, they're also saying that, well, this isn't us. And because this isn't us, or I don't see myself reflected in it, then it must be like, Extinguished. Well, the problem is, it is us. I mean, we're all part of the city. And if you go into some of these neighborhoods, 90% of the people in those neighborhoods are good working folk. I mean, they care about their neighborhood. But when you've got a small fraction who are armed to the teeth, who are doing drugs, have plenty of money, and have no moral compass about killing somebody who treads on their territory 
or squeals to the cops, then there's an air of fear there. So the 10% or 5%, whatever the percentage is, it's a small percentage, is, is really ruling the other 90% who are just regular folks trying to do a good job, trying to make a living, trying to raise a family, and in neighborhoods that really are great New Orleans neighborhoods, but they can be ruined by a few people because there is a fear out there. Uh, and I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. That's why law enforcement has such a tough time sometimes getting convictions is because everybody is afraid. And sometimes you can't blame them. Mm-hmm. You know, when you've got some of these gangs that will threaten you or your kids or your family or whomever, I mean, it is fearful. Why do you think this story was so popular? Why do you think people were latching onto it and sharing it? I, I think in this city, crime is probably the number one issue because it's so prevalent here. And so much of the news is dominated by crime. Uh, and then, but then to see it actually happen and, and you know, forget the salaciousness of, of seeing that kind of a fight. Uh, I think it was a huge wake-up call for New Orleans. I mean, it, it was for even the mayor's office. A huge wake-up call to how fast, um, you know, just a simple interview on television and some guy started to yell at us can turn into a fight where somebody could have been killed. Uh, and, and I think that that maybe it just it hit a raw nerve, and I think that may be why it it, it went so viral, and, and and unfortunately with the national news and some of the a, a lot of right wing uh, uh, websites picked it up too, because then they were saying well this is why we all need guns, well, you know you, you think about the Bourbon Street shooting, um, uh, the other night on, on on the mass shooting on Bourbon Street where where ten people were shot one person died. And it was two yahoos who got into an argument and started firing. Well, the trouble if, you know, when you hear some people, if everybody had a gun and everybody started firing, my God, look how many people could have been shot. Because the two guys who were shooting each other did not hit each other. They hit innocent bystanders. And that's one of the problems with having too many people with too many guns. And the problem is, in New Orleans, we have too many guns. Now, I am a huge gun rights advocate. I, I think we should, we should, we should, because the Second Amendment says we should be able to have a gun in our home, carrying it on the streets and in your cars, and to bars or to churches or wherever, isn't always the best idea. Especially when they tried to make uh, people be able to carry guns in bars. I mean, there's liquor and and I mean there are bar fights and. All of a sudden, the gun becomes the great equalizer. We've seen that in the two road rage incidents that have been so prevalent in the news with uh, with Will Smith and Joe McKnight. So what do you hope or what do you think that your piece added maybe to the larger conversation of violence in New Orleans or even curbing violence in New Orleans? My hope is, uh, and it's based a lot on Joseph, the, the, the young man who, who apologized. And I'd like to go back and visit him in a year and see where he is. And my hope is he's doing well, he's, he's working, um, you know, and, and things are just, are just good. I, you know, I hope he doesn't, doesn't go back, you know, because sometimes when you grow up in an area, and it doesn't happen with everybody, but you are oftentimes a product of your environment. Um, we don't, we don't, we're not born with hate in our, in our, in our hearts and our minds. 
uh, that's taught. You know, it's something that 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 you learn from your environment. Um, you know, and there, there's 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 a difference in the environment that that Mandy grew up in, and I grew up in. That you, Kagan, you grew up in, and I grew up in. I mean, we're different generations, and, and I mean, our, our experiences in life are going to be different. And and then with with the advent of, of social media, and so much fake news out there, and I mean, because I saw a, a, a lot of people had twisted had twisted my story and I'm going wait a minute I was there I know what happened this is not quite what happened the way you guys are are re-explaining this I wanted to go back to something you said earlier about um, when you guys were in the mayor's office and Joseph was talking to the mayor and the mayor cut him off and you know Joseph didn't let him do that so I I think um, I think something I heard was do you think that a lot of the conversations that we have about societal ills in New Orleans and maybe even across the country is because people are either being talked over or they're not being talked to. They're being talked at or about. And there's not kind of this dialogue um, where you actually go into the community like you did. I don't know how many reporters have actually like gone into the eighth or the ninth ward to figure out what the beef is and what those what tensions on the street actually looked like. And I want to go back. I mean, Kwame and I are talking about doing a, a, a sequel to that. So, yeah, I, I understand. Um, if, if I can go back to, to, to uh, there was a piece on 60 Minutes with uh, pollster Frank Luntz, um, well-respected pollster. But he does one of these things where he gets, he gets focus groups together and, and they'll watch a videotape of, in this case, it was Donald Trump. And then one of Hillary Clinton. And then they, they, they had a dial to where if they agreed with it, they dialed up. If they disagreed, they dialed down. Um, and, and, and the things that they dialed up and down about were very revealing. And then, and then Mr. Luntz made a, a very, I, I think, very astute observation about the human condition now and social media. He said, we have become a, a society that's looking for affirmation instead of inf- or instead of information so we want to be heard we really don't give a damn about hearing what somebody else says and so we're so concerned about getting our opinion across we don't listen to what somebody else says and the thing that i've always learned in life is no matter who you talk to no matter what their background what their age you can learn something from everybody and we don't, as a society, I don't think we do that anymore. The Internet has given us such a platform to spout off anything in the world. And then all of a sudden we start thinking, well, my opinion's so important that I don't need to listen to the facts. I can spew off what I think. Um, you know, in our business in television, we're seeing the, uh, the way people get their news is changing. And, you know, we, 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 we have to go ahead and change some of the things we do to be part of that. Our, our, our uh, online presence that, that Mandy does a lot of is, is very important now. It's very important to, to, to what we do. But sometimes, sometimes I wonder about, just as a broadcaster, are we worried about too much about driving people to our website instead of using our website to drive them to our television station? It's kind of a vicious cycle. 
Well, I guess the web, and Mandy, you can speak to that, but <laughs> it just has a greater reach. <laughs> I, and I agree. Yeah, I agree. the reach is there. You know, if, 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 if I'd have done this story, you know, uh, 20 years ago, uh, it wouldn't have gone viral like this. I mean, the Internet was in a, uh, the infancy of, of us as people knowing it. I mean, it had been around for a while, um, but it, it wasn't in every home. Um, and so, so, so no, I mean, you know, if, if, if it had gotten on the AP wire or something like that, or, uh, um, then yes, it would, it would have spread to other TV stations and other newspapers, but the web, um, is an instant platform. I was thinking about this before we came into this interview. I wanted to ask you what, what were you hoping to accomplish when you went out into the streets? Like what, what were you hoping to bring back and to show TV? And I'm thinking now had this fight not happened, you might not have been able to tell the story as well as you were able to because you had this example almost of, of what it's like. And then and then now I wonder, is that what people took away? Is that what they is that what they learned from your story? I mean, it got it went everywhere. But did it go everywhere for the right reasons? I don't I don't know. Well, I, it, it, at least to, according to a lot of the comments I got, um, they did pick up the right the right uh, message in the story um, that it's a problem that. Um, we're a society that, 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 that reacts too quickly to a lot of things. And instead of talking about something, um, you know, it turns into violence. Um, and, and originally I, I thought that, that just parts of the, of the documentary that, that Kwame Gates had done would be shocking enough to where it would be, um, you know, a wake-up call to a lot of people who don't see that kind of thing. Then when, when this happened, it became an even bigger wake-up call. And so that's, if anything good came out of that, excuse me, if anything good came out of that, that's what I think it was. So moving forward, what do you think the solution is? You know, you, know, you sat down with the mayor and you guys kind of did the, the reconciliation. But, but for the city, what is, what's, do you have any idea about what an answer could be? I don't want to say the yeah. answer. but I, I think the mayor... The mayor actually really does care about this. I mean, on this systemic crime, uh, um, you know, the thing where, 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 you know, a fight escalates and all of a sudden somebody's killed, he really does care about that. And, and he's, 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 that's why he, he's got the um, um, part of his office with uh, um, uh, Judy Kern Morris, who, who is working with the, uh, the mother circle and things like that. Uh, um, um, they're really trying to do something. And, and I think it's going to start with, it's got to be in the neighborhoods, in the churches, in the families. Um, um, you know, it's, it's, it's got to start one family at a time. And there's, there's no way you can make everybody. And, and of course, everybody's not going to be uh, an, uh, an A student or an, an angel at, at home. But if we can reach a lot of these young people, and start getting jobs for people because I, th- I think the root cause of a lot of this is poverty, you know. Um, and then some of the influences they see in 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 music and movies, on the internet, that that glorifies some of these guys that are doing drugs, that are, you know, shooting somebody or whatever they do. Is 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 an influence, and, and, and obviously it doesn't influence everybody. A lot of people play video games, and they're violent video games, and they never turn to violence. But 
clearly it, it has some influence somewhere. And so, I don't know, it's, it's a huge problem. And it's not just here in New Orleans, it's all over the country. So, this story that you did was one of the big stories for WWL in 2016. And we want to ask you, what is the big story that you remember of 2016? Wow. Um... There's a bunch of them. I, I think one of the ones that, that, that struck me the most was the call response time when we found out that in some cases it takes over an hour for cops to get somewhere. Um, that was one, but then that goes along with crime. And, uh, you know, and, and one of the other big ones is, it, it, and it, 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 it's not indicative of, of, of what's happening here, but it was one of those things that really put into focus for a lot of people how bad crime was, was when those three restaurants were robbed and people were forced on the floor because you think, I mean, I eat in those restaurants. I could have been there. And you talk about a scary thing. I don't know if you've ever, if you've ever had a gun pulled on you. It is frightening. I was going to ask, have you ever been the victim of violence or know anybody? Yes. When I, when I was growing up, I was robbed at Knife Point. And, you know, you always think that, Oh, if, if somebody pulls a knife on me, I'll judo chop him or whatever. All you're thinking of is, oh, my God, please don't kill me. And maybe that's the coward in me. I don't know. But, but I mean, that's the first thing that went through my mind. And, and uh, you know, so and I know people that, who, have been, who have been victims of violent crime. And it, it, it just changes your life. And, and the, the other one was when, when they caught that, that uh, guy, Yurik Kane, on camera. Um, shooting a guy who was trying to help a woman who was being uh, reportedly kidnapped by Yuri Kane. And then the horrific things he did the next night to a couple, um, just unspeakable crime. And there's, I mean, hell can't be hot enough for people like that. So, yeah, those are the big stories. And, and again, it all centers around crime. Yeah. Is crime something you focused on a lot in your reporting with WWL or, or at all? Well, because I, I've, I've been behind the anchor desk for so long, and there's so many crime stories. And I, I, and I referred to Mayor Mark Moriel in the 90s, and when he brought in Chief Pennington, the murder rate went from like 494 to 200, 200 something. And I, I got to be friends with, with uh, Chief Pennington. And I went to a restaurant with him one time, and when he walked in, he got a standing ovation. I mean, people care that much about about crime, um, and and curbing crime. And uh, I, I think you know, um, if, if if we could do something to 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 solve crime, whoever could do that would be a hero. Fourth degree is produced by Joshua Detige, Kagan Moore, and Mandy Thomas. Visuals are provided by Joshua Detige and Lakeith Holmes. The show was engineered by Ed Merritt and is taped at the WWL-TV studios in New Orleans, Louisiana. To listen to this episode or any episodes in The Fourth Degree, visit WWLTV.com or download the free WWL-TV app. Thank you for listening. This is The Fourth Degree.